Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. I'm Alicia. My name is Stacy, and thank you for joining us for another edition of our good podcast about bad relationships. Holy cat, Stacy! Last week, I told the Brandy Glanville, Eddie Cibrian story. That's going to be the A side of this album. You're going to go a little blue on the B side this week. Indeed. I have the split of Leanne Rimes, who, uh, you know, notoriously, I guess, hooked up with Eddie Cibrian, uh, which ended not just his marriage, but hers as well. This is sort of the, I don't know, the coming of age story of her ex-husband, Dean Shermay. And his path to liberation from uh, the tentacles of stardom or something. i It's Dean's tale. It's a ride. Young marriage. Many lessons. Two different tales, but oh so closely woven together. Let's go ahead and flip that album and uh, go, go, go. Alicia. Over the weekend, you brought us the story of Real Housewife Brandy Glanville and her very trashy and very public divorce from actor Eddie Cibrian. I will admit that it has somewhat tarnished my memories of the classic 90s film, but I'm a cheerleader, but I digress. That story, of course, involved the revelation of an affair between Eddie and country music superstar Leanne Rimes who was herself also married at the time. So the affair did not just end Brandy and Eddie's marriage, but also the marriage of Leanne and her husband, Dean Shermay. So double trouble, double the fun. If you want to call it that. (laughs) Today we're covering Leanne and Dean. Margaret Leanne Rimes was born August 28, 1982 in Jackson, Mississippi, but was mostly raised in Garland, Texas. She was, I think, as everyone knows, a country music wonderkin by the age of 13. Her parents had noticed her musical talents when she was very, very young. And when she was like two, she was already enrolled in vocal and dance classes. Like, I mean, you're barely potty trained when you're two. May not have been. But you're in a... May have just been, don't swing her too hard. I don't know. But have you heard her major scales? She was active in talent shows by the age of five. By nine, she was apparently touring with her father, Wilbur, who himself had always dreamed of a music career of his own. Uh, She was regularly singing the national anthem at Dallas Cowboys football games at the age of nine. Whoa. According to her Wikipedia page. I do sometimes wonder if people just put stuff in there that's fake. I don't know. That's a lot. Her first studio album was released in 1991. So she's like eight or nine. That's just incredible. The idea of spending hours in a studio doing anything when I was eight is like, that was not a thing that was going to happen. Oh, no. At the age of 11, Leanne's age, the Dallas DJ named Bill Mack was considerably older, I believe. So anyway, when she was 11, a Dallas DJ named Bill Mack stumbled upon her work and realized that he had a perfect song for what was clearly an emerging star, this 11-year-old. Have you heard that voice? So he had written the song Blue, as the story goes for Patsy Cline back in the 60s. 
but then her untimely death in a plane crash meant that she had never gotten around to recording it. Tragic story. Previous Trashy Divorces alum, Patsy Mm -hmm. Cline. So Leanne worked with Bill and her father on a second studio album that included the song Blue. And Bill then took that over to Nashville and used it to entice a label called Curb Records to sign, again, an 11-year-old. It's all working out. It's all working out. So Leanne got straight to work on a new album with Blue as the centerpiece, and that would be the album title as well. Many years later, she would tell the BBC that Curb Records had maybe inadvertently released the original version that she had recorded when she was 11 instead of the one she did when she was 13 as the single, but neither here nor there. They marketed the single Blue as like this song that Bill had been sitting on for decades waiting to find the perfect vessel to carry this like Patsy Cline intended song into the world. Sure. This was not true in the sense that the song had actually been recorded a few times over the decades, including by Bill himself. But if you tell writers in Nashville that Patsy Cline once again walks among us, you will have a hit on your hands. Oh, 100%. And they did. Blue, the album, hit number one on the Top Country Albums chart. It debuted at number three on the Billboard 200. Wow. It sold four million copies. Whoa. I've also seen six. Presumably it continues to sell, so who can say? And Blue, the song that perhaps was sung by an 11-year-old, made it to number 10 on Billboard's country charts. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It's a lot of success at a very young age. A very young age. The record spawned other big hits as well, and it would, in 1997, make Leanne Rimes the youngest person to win a Grammy. Wow. Two, in No, fact. really? She was Best New Artist, and she also won for Best Female Country Vocal Performance at the age of 13. That's remarkable. She would follow that up, By winning the Country Music Association's Horizon Award, which is their Best New Artist Award, and so became the youngest person ever to be nominated for and win a CMA Award. Her father, Wilbur, was her manager and producer, and her mother handled wardrobe and makeup. Dad was quoted somewhere saying, quote, To have your own child be able to get out and do what you couldn't and always wanted to, I just never really had the chance that she's had. Is there a bit of a mago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put a pin in that, because there's a lot there, right? That That's a lot. It's a lot. Over the next three or so years, Leanne would perform some 500 shows, release two or three more hugely successful albums, as well as launch major hits like How Do I Live, earning her crossover success on the pop charts. Yeah, it was really quite a rise to stardom. Mm. Rocket ship to stardom. So that is a lot of success for really anyone to manage, but a teenager? And because this is really a family affair, it was a lot of success for everyone in Leanne's life to manage, and her parents, in the end, did not. They divorced in 1997, with Wilbur staying on in Nashville, and he, he remained her manager and producer. Leanne herself moved to Los Angeles with her mother, thinking, you know, let me jump into acting while the strike while the iron's hot. So we have the compounding of, I just got real famous at 13 and on the heels of that, my parents are divorcing. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She did have some successes in Hollywood, TV movies, stuff like that. And that is on top of all of this other career stuff that the 14, 15, 16 year old mega star was busy with. 
Wilbur married again the following year. Oh, so. interesting. That's not suspicious at all. Quick timing, quick timing. Maybe he's just a decisive kind of person. Could be, could be Wilbur. By the time she was 16, Leanne was chafing at the degree of control that her father had over her, which seems like a perfectly normal 16-year-old thing, but, I mean, you're talking gobs of money, heaps of money. Well, and your dad's your manager. It's not just like, dad sets a curfew for me to come home from hanging out with my high school friends. Yeah. So in 2000, as a 17-year-old, she and her mother sued Wilbur. (gasps) No. Alleging that he had misappropriated $7 million. He and like a business partner or co-man, somebody. Anyway, over the preceding five years, and she also sued to try to exit her record contract early. Keep in mind that she had been signed as a minor. So there probably was some reason to think a court might agree that, you know, some rethinking of contractual terms. Sure. Might be called for. When the court did not agree that a rethink was necessary, video emerged of her reacting to the judgment by mouthing, I hate you, at her father in the courtroom. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, to be a teenager in the white hot spotlight. It all got very, very ugly for a while there. But in 2001, something very nice happened. What happened? At the Academy of Country Music Awards... In May of that year, a young backup dancer named Dean Shermay was cast to perform during Leanne's performance at the show. And bada-boom, bada-bing, they were engaged in December, and they married in February of 2002. That's quick. Very quick. The pending nuptials had an unexpected side effect, though. Leanne realized that she really wanted her father to walk her down the aisle and do the father-daughter dance, and like she wanted her father involved. So this sparked like a rushed batch of settlement talks in their legal fights, Wilbur had countersued. Oh my. Notably referring to his daughter and I guess protege uh, as a spoiled brat. Who did that, Wilbur? Who did that? Okay. And anyway, so they reconciled ahead of the wedding. It's feel good story. Okay. So it all worked out. Touching. Yikes on bikes. Well, we know how it ends. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) proceed. Yeah. Well, no, this is actually a great spot to pause for the cause. Here's some messages from our sponsors, and when we come back, we're going to meet fresh-faced Dean Shermay, future ex-husband of Leanne Rimes. See you on the flip. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Dis and Tell, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William vs. Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? all in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. 
Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, Stacy, tell me about Dean. Let's meet Dean, our newly married 21-year-old husband to a phenomenally successful 19-year-old Leanne Rhymes. Dean is not a guy with a Wikipedia page, but he very helpfully wrote a cookbook some years after their marriage ended that opens with a few-page story that amounts to how I got here, right? There's some biographical details there. So he's from Dearborn, Michigan, has sisters, and when he was two, his own parents divorced. Neither of them really had the resources to look after the kids on their own, so their grandmother took them in. I think his father took the kids to his, like, they all lived together. Anyway, spent weekends with his mom. Grandmother took them in, and needing to direct the energies of a hyped-up little boy, because there are no little boys who are not hyped up. It's pretty true. Mm -hmm, she made him her assistant in the kitchen. Ba oh, very smart. Baking was her thing. So he, he talks a lot about learning how to crack eggs when he was a wee tot. <laughs> I can only imagine how many eggs Grandma cleaned up. Yeah. I kind of remember learning to crack eggs as a kid, too, and it, it was sort of a magical thing somehow. Anyway... Also, to direct all of that boy energy, she enrolled him in dance lessons. Oh, smart. So he got into performing. Like, it was, he he loved it. Show him the old razzle-dazzle. Razzle-dazzle, and then go crack an egg. So anyway, <laughs> it appears that Grandma was really critical and really essential to the stories of both his pre- and post-Leanne life. He's become something of a celebrity chef these days, but of course, met Leanne as a backup dancer. So they get married. And initially, I think they lived in Nashville. Dean says that in this period, everything felt normal and grounded, and that they were just your typical run-of-the-mill, normal young couple, like way too young, but, you know, that happens. In the early years of their marriage, it sounds like they were very collaborative, very creative together. They were doing some songwriting together. Dean was doing choreography for videos and for some of her performances. People in their orbit credit Dean with something of a glow-up that young Leanne Rhymes experienced in the marriage. You know, she went from being this teenager influenced by her parents to transitioning into adult stardom as an independent woman. It was sexier, let's put it that way. Okay. She grew up right there in front of the public eye. Anyway, Dean certainly understood which of them of the two was the star, and for a long time he was very comfortable just being a booster to his wife and playing a role kind of within the ecosystem that was Leanne Rhymes, the public performer personality. He does say that he was never on her payroll. So I think that he, as kind of everyone does, came into the marriage having certain ideas about what a good marriage looks like and how a healthy marriage operates. 
And I think there's at least one major world religion centered around the idea that it is actually our own expectations that bring us the most sorrow. So, Dean, I feel you, my friend, because... It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. And he talks about, like in, in a separate interview, he talks about the challenge of deciding, you know, he could stay in Nashville or L.A. while she was on the road, but he that's not what a good marriage is. That's not how a healthy marriage works. So... He ended up just, just like living in this like Leanne Rhymes bubble. Bubble, yes, mm-hmm. for his twenties. Wow. So this basically cut off all of his opportunities to like do Dean things and explore Dean's world and to develop Dean, who again, I mean, this is his twenties, which is the decade where you finally get to be out on your own, an alleged adult tripping all over your own feet on the difficult process of learning how not to constantly fall on your face. And I'm sure he did that a lot, but he did all of it in this super weird environment of his wife's celebrity and tons of money. And like, there was a Ferrari and a Range Rover and like a 30,000 square foot house or something. Just, just that's hard to comprehend it. Just about any age, but as a young, young kid. Yeah, so I think by the end of their marriage, which, you know, the it ended in a spectacularly terrible way, but I, I think he had a real sense of alienation from himself, which is... That's fair. That That makes sense. I think that's a relatable thing that happens. So here's a bit from his book that I think captures the flavor. Even before 2009, when Leanne Rimes took a TV movie role opposite Eddie Cimbrian and ruined Lifetime movies for Dean forever. (laughs) (laughs) These are just kind of some snippets. I've structured them like a paragraph, but it's a little... Anyway, quote, When we love people, we want to make things perfect for them, sometimes at the expense of ourselves. I became obsessed with helping Leanne's career, constantly wanting to make things better for her. I loved her more than I loved myself, and that's where I went wrong. It was Mm. all-consuming, and I could never shut it off. Over dinner, vacations, or just driving in the car, I'd make suggestions about what we could do to make everything bigger and better. Everything I viewed as a success continued to drive a bigger wedge between us, and she felt trapped. Leanne had spent her whole life being told what to do, how to stand, and how to act. I was the only one she didn't want to hear it from. The more I put into her career the less I felt that the relationship was reciprocal. Something was still missing. I felt I was wearing so many hats, father figure, husband, manager, and lover, probably in that order, and none of them ever seemed to fit properly. The life, the dream life, under the bright lights, with the big shows, with the thousands of screaming fans who had no idea what our lives were like after the applause died down and the lights went out, was completely unsustainable. The animosity built up within both of us, Thus began the heartbreaking spiral. Does seem like there may have been some transference from dad to dad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. Dean. Yep. And he sounds like he's probably had some therapy, had some real honest conversations to get to that point. I believe he has acknowledged the advantages of therapy in his life. But of course, the heartbreaking spiral ended in a thud on the ground in Canada where this movie was being filmed. There's a slightly hard to find interview with Dean from a website called Nat's Next Adventure, where he reflects a bit on Eddie Cimbrian. The interviewer asks him if he recalls meeting Eddie, and he says, I do. He was a good looking guy. I just remember being like, 
Oh God, just another one of those Hollywood pretty boys. If you're in a room with him, he's probably one of the most charming people you'll ever meet, but I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw this fucking table. Seems fair. Nat asks, isn't that hindsight though? And he says, no, he just felt like one of those guys from the beginning. A total schmoozer, very Hollywood. I never bought his shtick, but I wasn't worried. She asks if he remembers when things first seemed off. Yeah. Some of this may overlap with some of what you brought in. I've seen part of this, which is what made me want to follow up on this so badly, because he really is very pretty open and upfront about how this all goes down. The fact that this is difficult to find, I found there, there are archives, there are internet archives, which is where I found it. I think it's been pulled from the original website. But you have the trashy scoop today. He was quite candid. Oh, yeah. That way. Oh, Um, yeah. Okay. So Dean says, I got really sick and had to go home. It was shooting in Canada. He went back to Nashville to the doctor. I was gone for a full week. I'll never forget this. There was this bar that everyone hung out at after set. And I remember coming down the stairs and seeing the two of them shooting pool together. I could just tell by the body language that everything had changed. She's shooting pool, shooting tequila in a tight tank, tight jeans, over-the-knee boots, and she's standing across from him playing with the pool cue. All of a sudden, there was a huge shift. My stomach dropped. I literally felt like I got hit. That's tough to see, man. That is so tough. And Brandy Glanville had, you know, she... She's watching the icing on the top licking. Uh, I don't think that actually happened. I think it was just said... Ha ha, we're just harmlessly flirting in front of our spouses. In front of our spouses. Mm. Oh, poor Dean. And for that matter, poor Brandy Glanville. Let's take one more break and we're going to come back for the stinging conclusion, but ultimately awesome rebuilding story that Dean makes for himself. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we know how this ultimately resolves, but get us there. Take us on home, Stacy. <laughs> Dean leaves Canada. Yeah, wouldn't you? <laughs> I wouldn't. He spent some time in Nashville with friends. He spent some time in Detroit with family. And all the while, he and Leanne were still kind of wrangling what exactly to do. I mean, it's confusing when a relationship ends in, in many cases. Sometimes it's not, but... But wasn't there a lot of... Back and forth, push and pull, just like Eddie and Brandy going yes. to therapy together. Dean and Leanne are doing. Yeah, he he talks about how she would want out and then she would want to stay. And he push, pull. would want out mm-hmm. and then he didn't. Like, 
Both of them were confused. Both of them were pretty miserable, at least with each other. She obviously had something, something. good happening. <laughs> it's happening. Um, obviously, they were fighting a lot. At one point, he told her to take her wedding ring off if she wasn't going to respect the vows or whatever. From Brandy Glanville's angle, the scandal erupted in March of 2009 when Us Weekly published photos of a, of a dinner with a little smoochery. But that's the same month that that movie that they were filming, Northern Lights, aired on Lifetime. So clearly, I mean, I don't know what the post-production time frame is for Lifetime movies. I don't imagine it's months and months. I feel like that's a pretty pretty quick process. But anyway, presumably Dean became aware of this a little, or at least consciously aware of this a little sooner than Brandy did. I think Brandy needed those photos to really let it sink in. Brandy and Dean actually did meet each other on the set. And so, yeah, they were like in these in these places together. And in an episode of her Brandy Glanville unfiltered podcast, she and Dean talk about that night from the story you told. It really does. It, it feels like Brandy was really wrestling with denial for a lot of this. It really took her until those pictures came out to own in her heart that, that it was, this happening. was real. Mm-hmm. But from a later vantage point, she certainly understands herself to have known instinctively, even there in Canada, that the affair was on. In any case, it wasn't until August that Eddie filed for divorce from Brandy, and September that Dean and Leanne began their divorce. I don't think the particulars of their settlement have ever been made public, but he certainly sounds like someone who did not walk away with much. He says, like, everything felt very equal in the marriage, but obviously it wasn't, but it wasn't until the divorce that I learned how unequal it was. That, yeah, that that's kind of tough. Thing. Mm-hmm. Possibly just in terms of like, Leanne Rimes can hire as many lawyers as she wants, right? Like he's got no leverage. So he had been trying to make a go of things as a songwriter in Nashville during the marriage, but as everything cratered around him, he knew that he needed to find a path that was entirely separate from Leanne, entirely his own. So he set his sights on building on his grandmother's legacy and mastering the world of food. He moved to New York City. He attended the French Culinary Institute. He graduated at the top of his class. Wow. And he went to work at celebrity hotspot Nobu 57, Robert De Niro's. That's fancy. Yeah, super fancy. I looked at their menu. Oh, my God. Okay. After honing his skills in that kitchen, he set a new challenge for himself. He wanted to prove his mettle in a Michelin-starred restaurant kitchen and managed to get himself an audition at one of the world's most respected restaurants, Jean-Georges, where he ended up working for the next two and a half years. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like Leanne, Dean has remarried, although unlike Leanne, he has also divorced for a second time. He became a father along the way as well. You know, I'm not sure that he and Leanne have contact beyond, like, occasional... He'll apparently say congratulatory things to her on social media from time to time, which draws blowback from social media. You know how all that works. But um, there is some communication through lawyers in the post-divorce era. Oh my, tell me, tell me. As he was publishing his cookbook, which is called Eat Your Heart Out, the look good, feel good, silver lining cookbook, her legal team got in touch to ask, you know, what he might have written about her. What a shitty and complicated trajectory. This guy, very modest origins. 
Then he spends his 20s in the crush of world tours and just dizzyingly high dollar figures. Then he has this grotesquely public, ugly end to his marriage. I really feel for him on that unfiltered episode as he and Brandy like quasi commiserate because it is in some ways their shared story, which is odd. It's like the most painful thing that happened to both of them. It really would bring you together, though. Yeah. So he notes that by comparison to what Brandy went through, he had it kind of easy. Like he and Leanne didn't have kids. So he was just able to bug out to New York, refocus his life. Get a job in a restaurant. Right. He didn't have this ongoing heartburn of trying to co-parent with an ex who you are so angry at, as well as his new wife, who was also his extremely famous mistress. Right. And that went on for years. I guess that is in some ways still ongoing. Also, he notes that it's not like tabloid reporters or paparazzi were following him to work a shift at a restaurant. Like, that just wasn't happening. He he just dropped off the face of. I really like Dean's story, though. I think it's very relatable. Here he is talking about kind of finding himself in kitchens of these high-end restaurants, uh, again, from that uh, 2015 That's Next Adventure interview. And she asks, did cooking help heal you? And he says, it absolutely helped heal me. I really found myself through my food. I found my purpose. I was having my ass kicked in life. And going to school, I was able to put my nose down and disappear. I was getting offers after the divorce to do a reality show or a book. And I didn't want to do any of that stuff without really being a chef. I don't ever want anything I do to be unwarranted. My first job was at Nobu. Talk about going from zero to a hundred. I went from culinary school where there's five people on a station to running my own station, 500 covers a night, getting my ass kicked night in and night out. And I thrived on that. I worked every station. And as I progressed, I felt more and more of a badass. It was baptism by fire. After working at Nobu for two years, I wanted more. I wanted to do fine dining. So I got a trial at Jean Georges and they hired me. And even there, I went from being the hot shot at Nobu to going to Jean Georges, where everybody there was the best. Exactly. Where they had come from. So, yeah, he just, he found his own path and he dove into it all the way. The hero's journey. A little bit. A little bit. I really, I, I really like Dean's choices post-divorce he really he could have gone on to be a like celebrity ex-husband right like he could have gone on to be on any number of reality tv shows etc he didn't he he went and did hard late night high pressure work and manifested back into himself yeah gained confidence in his own Mm -hmm. in his own thing good on you dean yeah it's it's a good story i think it's a story everyone who's in the midst of something can take some heart in Find the thing you want to be passionate about, find out how to be passionate about it, and go live your passions. I have no, I, I don't want to dump on Leanne Rhymes any more than we already have, so I don't have a trash can rating for this. This is a, not a redemption story, because, you know, I don't think Dean needed to be redeemed, per se, but... Just the B-side. It's the B-side. It's the there flip side of uh, really, I mean, th- this caused reputational damage that I don't think has fully recovered for Eddie and Leanne like this was it was this was bad this was a bad thing I was not even aware of until you told me the story last weekend well done Stacy on that b-side we're here to cover all the trash 
Old trash, new trash. Trash candy. It's what we do. Taking out the trash. We're going to be back this weekend with a whole new album. Whole new trashy album. I think I have kind of a Greek tragedy of trash. A little darker and heavier than our normal trash candy fair. I will break out the feta. If you want some more of us, you can check out stuff that we have liberated from the Patreon paywall at bit.ly slash trash candy. Just plug that into a browser. You can find us over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces for dumpster dives and spider webs, nightcap chats, live Zoom sessions. We're always doing something over here at the Trashy Divorces headquarters. We are so grateful to you. Thanks for coming in to listen today, for being awesome. We're going to be back on Sunday with a brand new episode. Until then, have a tremendous rest of the week, friends. Keep your knives sharp. <laughs> keep your hands clean and keep your hearts trashy. Bye, everybody. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.